this is Shift Run Stop. It's um, a fun podcast about games and cultural stuff and comedy and interviews. Welcome to episode 10. Today we have uh, Nick Pope, who's the real Fox Mulder. The British Fox Mulder. If you like, um, or the you know, I think the real is possibly even more specific. Than oh, because he's the real one because, in the real world. In, in the real world, yeah. yeah. I like the idea that he's the or an authority on on mm. UFOs. I think that's. Yeah. I, I think we need one. Yes. So I need somebody to I give me the definitive answer yeah. once and for all. Yeah. So yeah. I think if anything happens tonight, I'll be I'll be glad that he's here with us. Um, oh, you mean you if, know, if there's an if abduction there's, attempt? If there's some kind of incident, yeah, I, I'll, I'll feel pleased that, that Nick Pope, the real Fox Mulder, is amongst us. Um, yeah, he used to work for the MOD and um, and doesn't anymore because he's now an international celebrity and spokesperson for the the unknown, I suppose. A man of mystery and conspiracy theories. Yes. Yeah. Which is fantastic. And if he genuinely started out as a sceptic mm. about all these things and, and his work at the MOD turned him around and made him question mm. what he had previously hold, hold to be common sense and true. Yes. I'm going to be very interested to meet him. And, yes. And from reading his bio, that's what I've come to expect. That's what he's, that's exactly that's what he's how he sells himself. Is, is what's happened, yes. Right. So yeah, Nick Pope. I'm going to buy this game, um, Pac-Boy, because I saw it. Pac-Boy, <laughs> yeah. you say? I like Pac-Man. But younger. But but possibly younger. It's like a little handheld thing. You'll it's notice that when Ms. Pac-Man came out, it wasn't called Pac-Girl, it was called Miss Pac-Man. So what are they doing with this Pac-Boy? No, because she, she's of the same generation as Pac-Man. Mm. She's not his daughter. Right. <laughs> she's not Pac-Girl. So Pac-Boy might be Pac-Man's son, you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if they want to sort of um, emphasise the connection too much, because I think Pac-Boy is possibly not <laughs> branded by Namco. But um, but I'll still yeah I'll get hold of it and see if it is um, it is some kind of spin-off um, drama <laughs> story about what happened next. Is it like, an uh, iPhone game by any like chance? Nine hundred two one zero. No, it's not an iPhone game. It's a two pound fifty handheld um, crappy like just thing made Ooh. by Peacocks or something. A plastic computer. Yeah, yeah, like really old like those old ones that you used to have before you had Game Boys. A bit stuff. like Grandstand Astro Wars, but smaller. Uh, yes, and not, exactly. Not yeah, that kind of thing, yeah. but properly portable. Nice. Not like a telly that yeah, you have right. to carry around with. <laughs> What's happened in your week, Layla? Uh, I went to an event at the RSA, a book launch sort of games discussion event uh, for a book called Fun Inc. by Tom Chatfield. Okay. And what it was was a sort of a debate or panel with uh, Tom Chatfield and another chap who's a Tory MP, which was a bit odd. Um, and the Tory MP was kind of trying to explain the policies that he would make and make sort of promises relating to the games industry mm. and why he's very excited about the games industry. Did he have many of those, many policy um, ideas for the games no, industry? No, not really. He was oh. just sort of saying, yeah, we think there should, there should be more money for them. Okay. We'll have some kind of council, like the film council, but for games and mm. stuff. And that was an interesting sort of idea. And a lot of people there from Gaming World. Um, What's I, Gaming World? The, the Gaming World. Oh, I thought the world magazine. Gaming. I no, thought no. I, was, I was missing out on a no. magazine. It's Gaming World magazine. There, well, there might well have been people there from Gaming World magazine. <laughs> if it exists, I'm sure they were PC there. World magazine. <laughs> Yeah, um, who else was there? There was uh, Daniel Nye Griffith, who we can give a shout out to. He's um, big up. 
Yeah, he's a Wired journalist. In fact, the one that interviewed me for my forthcoming <gasps> interview for Wired. When's it out? Um, he said it's already in the system, so I'm guessing in the next month or two. So as soon as it comes out, you'll, you'll hear about it here first. Oh, sure. we, we won't keep stuff. the listeners waiting for that news. They'll be straight straight on the uh, we'll on the old shelves. We'll see what the picture looks like. Right. I imagine very few of them subscribe. They'll probably have to go and buy it from the Yeah, shelf. they probably haven't heard of it. No. What is it? I think from going to that RSA event, I noticed that people hadn't really put it together, that I was the person that spoke at Playful and Interesting and did the podcast. Is that because of your chameleon-like... Features and attire. Do you change the way that you look quite regularly, and, and you yeah. surprise people? Maybe. I think. I think it's just that nerds have difficulty recognising faces. That's much more likely. <laughs> That's like kind of my theory. On it. I'm rubbish with faces. Really. And yeah. names. Yeah. And normally, if you can get <laughs> one of those, one you're right. Yeah. But if you're rubbish with both, it's a constant embarrassment. Every single day, I shake hands with people. Nice to meet you. We've met before. Oh, see yeah. you. I meant nice yeah. to see you. Yeah, I was trying to remember their name. It's horrible. <laughs> nice <laughs> to meet again. Yeah. Let me finish again. I, so many times I've said nice to meet you again. That is, that's almost my catchphrase. Oh. What I need is a pair of spectacles mm. with uh, some kind of heads up display yeah. that recognises faces for like me. Terminator yeah. 6502 language. I'm essentially disabled. <laughs> I need that. That's going to fix my life for me. So I hope I can get that on the NHS. Oh. Well, good luck. I'm in computers. I'm in the mainframe. I'm in your headphones. We have with us today Nick Pope, uh, the author, researcher, UFO- ufologist, ufologist, is that how you would? Uh, I personally wouldn't describe myself as, as a ufologist because I think that's yeah. more the, the sorts of people that do it as a hobby and I did it as a job. But, um, oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. UFO I mean, commentator. UFO writer, researcher, broadcaster. Media darling, all media, that stuff. Yes, that's the media darling is the polite phrase. I've been <laughs> called the other version of that. <laughs> Naughty word. Well, welcome to Shift Run Stop. Thank you. It's great to be on the show. Nick is known as the the sort of real Fox Mulder um, for yes. his, his previous work at the MOD UFO Files. I was quite interested in whether you go UFO spotting. Like, are you are you that interested in it? Is it's like are you kind of the Robbie Williams, of, like the real Robbie Williams? And, yeah. <laughs> Am I the real Robbie Williams <laughs> as well as the real Nick? Pope? Because he's really genuinely into it, isn't he? And he goes to these mad. He, he is. And funnily enough, I got an email from Robbie Williams oh. once, but the funny thing about it is, first of all, it ended up in my spam folder, <laughs> because I suppose the filter doesn't think Robbie Williams will be emailing, mm. but actually sometimes <laughs> he does. And it says, hi Nick, it's Robbie Williams, brackets, the pop star. Brilliant. Brackets. It's good that he explains that, was, that just in case. <laughs> and then he said, um, uh, I'm going to be going to this conference mm. um, in America, I see you're on the list, it would be good to hook up. Mm. And... I quite like his music, but I'm not a huge follower or something, and I Mm. certainly hadn't followed his change of image or whatever. So, Mm. to cut a long story short, I was in the hotel in, in Vegas, or wherever it was, I walked straight past him. He came. He's got funny. the beard, hasn't yeah. he? Yeah. He, he, I think he's shaved it off now, but oh. he, he at the time, he mm. had very much that heavily bearded look, and I just walked straight past the guy, and he came running out of Starbucks, and he grabbed me, and he goes, Nick, Nick. <laughs> it's me, I'm Robbie Williams. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that was, that was great. I love that fun. he recognised you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was quite cool, actually. Um, awesome. What uh, I just realised in true being someone who used to work for government style, mm. I haven't actually answered your question, which was, <laughs> um, do I go UFO spotting? No, mm. funnily enough, mm. I used to investigate these things for government. I now look at them, you know, people email me about things and mm. I commentate on it in the media, but you won't find me at the top of a hill in yeah. the middle of the night with a 
thermos and binoculars. Presumably when you worked for the MOD, you weren't out with your binoculars and telescope. You would have been reading other people's <laughs> reports. And I, yes, absolutely. You would not have found me out out in a muddy field um, saying, here is the spot. Because unless something lands, mm. what, what is the point of saying, well, this is the spot where two nights ago something was seen. Yeah. You're, you're far better off uh, getting the radar tapes, mm. trying to correlate what was seen with some known activity. Mm. You, know, you look at flight paths, you look at weather balloon launches, astronomical data, all that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, so yeah, no UFO spotting at the MOD either. No. So what what's the um, the most common um, thing that people mistake for a UFO? I suppose uh, did you find in your in your research? Well, back when I was doing it for the government, it was probably aircraft lights. Mm. I remember the classic story of the person who saw the bright white light and mm. then said, and it was really weird because on one side there was a red light <laughs> and there was a green light. I said, where was this? Not far from Heathrow. And you know, bless her, she just moved to the, yeah. the city from Get the used country. to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You might that. be seeing a few more of those. Every night. Yeah. And, um, but now... Um, now it's these Chinese lanterns, these little mini hot air balloons that will burn underneath. You set them off at weddings, barbecues, oh, right. uh, Christmas, New Year. See, I'm glad you told me about the existence of these things, because <laughs> otherwise I might have been reporting them. And presumably they get blown around a bit in the wind. They, they, what happens is, they, if you can get the thing to um, take you off in the first place... Once they get up there, obviously the hot air from the burner gives it a lift, and then they get caught on the wind, and they tend to drift on the wind. Mm. Um, so if the the wind's quite high, mm. they will really bomb along, and mm. if it's not, they won't. Mm. So you get all these reports of fast-moving UFOs or mm. hovering UFOs, <laughs> but if they're orange these days, and if they're effectively balls of light, yeah. chances are they are these these Chinese lanterns. The other thing is people often let them off in large groups mm. and so you'll get 10 or 12 of these things drifting across the sky. Which would look pretty freaky. It looks yeah. pretty freaky and yeah. of course in the media you sometimes get reports about fleets of UFOs. <laughs> An invasion fleet was seen yesterday over Chipping Sodbury or wherever. You were um, sceptical on your way into mm. this role. You, you, you went into UFO studies without a, a kind of a belief in them. You went into it in a, in a kind of even-handed or maybe even slightly cynical way. Is, is that is that a fair assessment? Or yes, I, I would say sceptical rather than cynical. Okay. I mean, I didn't expect... I, I, I wasn't a debunker. Sure. I wasn't, as it were, going in with zero expectation of flying, uh, mm. find a flying, <laughs> finding a flying saucer. I tried to go in with an open mind and mm. say, well, I'll go where the data take me and I'll, mm. I'll do the investigations and I'll see what I can conclude from it but yeah I, I think you can safely say that I wasn't a paid up believer in little green men sure you didn't have mm. a poster on your wall saying I want to believe <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously you've, you've written and, and spoken a lot about this uh, over the last few years but would you kind of summarise what your experience with the MOD uh, led you to believe or you know w whether you came to any conclusions as, as you left that role well I came to the conclusion that most UFO sightings could be explained in conventional terms and mm. they are misidentifications of all the ordinary objects and phenomena that, that you would expect, aircraft lights, weather balloons, meteors, mm. and, and now uh, Chinese lanterns. Yeah. Um, but consistently, not just on my uh, watch, but dating back to the 50s, the MOD has always had a small percentage of sightings that it can't explain. 
uh, some interesting cases. Of course, UFOs seen by police officers, pilots, mm. um, military personnel, tracked on radar, perform speeds and manoeuvres sometimes that really do make even us in government mm. sit up and take notice and yeah. wonder. And in a sense, the odd thing is that we didn't conclude anything. Mm-hmm. Um, contrary to what people think, we don't have a crashed spaceship in a hangar yeah. somewhere or bodies of... But that's what you'd say. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what to be fair, that say. probably is what I would say, even if we did. Um, wink, but wink. That's, but that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. Even He's currently passing anyway. a photo of a UFO in a hangar. <laughs> <laughs> and passing, then passing a little note under the table. <laughs> Now, our next guest is a chap I've been a fan of for several years, not least because we share an obsession with Back to the Future. He couldn't make it into the studio, unfortunately, but he has pre-recorded something for us, and we think you're going to enjoy it. Hi, I'm Paul Carenza. I'm a stand-up comedian and a movie geek, I think it's fair to say. Uh, I run a website called themovietimeline.com, which is really a chance to waste your time by looking at when different events and films actually happened and how they happened in relation to each other. For example, did you know that Die Hard 2, the events therein with uh, John McClane racing around Washington Dulles Airport, happened on the same day as Macaulay Culkin's character uh, in Home Alone, uh, Kevin McAllister, was kept home in Chicago? So you may be interested or, or not to know that the day the Earth stood still, well, that was a Wednesday, um, and Andy Dufresne in The Shawshank Redemption, he was framed uh, just at the same time, actually, in fact, six months before Roger Rabbit was framed. So a big year for framing. I've been asked here today on Shift Run Stop to uh, maybe contribute some thoughts at the start of 2010 as to what we can expect in the coming year and indeed the coming decade. It's going to be an exciting year, I I can point out, uh, having reviewed many uh, films, which of course are all true. Uh, 2010 will be the year that Dr. Hayward Floyd heads to Jupiter to discover the Discovery, which is uh, again conveniently titled, uh, and reactivate HAL 9000, of course not seen for some nine years now since that space odyssey back then. More specifically, Monday 9th of August this summer, uh, the events of District 9 as MNU officers begin to issue those eviction notices to the aliens down in Johannesburg. So uh, all that to look forward to. September, we're looking at uh, uh, Rob Shearson humping a peanut butter sandwich and then having his balls licked by his dog Frizzy. That's according to American Pie Presents the Book of Love. Not that they moved on from that pie humping incident to the much more sophisticated peanut butter sandwich humping incident. Next year, we have uh, a big virus here, a big year for viruses, 2011. 99% of the Earth's population will be taken out, uh, according to Eon Flux. 2012, then, well, those who do survive will be electing the first female president of the United States. That's according to Back to the Future Part 2. Uh, that's going to happen on the 6th of November in uh, 2012. But it's all a bit short-lived because, of course, as we all know, the world comes to an end on Friday the 21st of December according to both the Mayan calendar and 2012's version of the Mayan calendar. Although culturally, of course, uh, the world has come to an end already now that 2012 has been released cinematically. Then, uh, apparently, the world recovers somehow because in 2013, Snake Plissken tries to escape L.A. and the events of The Postman happened. You know, The Postman, the film with Kevin Costner. You know what happens in that because obviously... No, I, I haven't seen it either. Then uh, 2017, well, that's when Barbara Kopetsky hunts some bounty, because uh, she's a bounty hunter, according to the film Barbed Wire. Uh, then it starts to get a bit overcrowded, apparently, even though 99% of the world was killed off earlier by a virus. 2019, very excitingly, The Running Man is launched on TV. Can't wait for that. Uh, just as Rick Deckard, the ex-LA cop, is chasing after replicants in Blade Runner. 2020, the decade comes to an end with uh, the film Reign of Fire as dragons invade London. I, I would go on now into what happens in the 
1920s and beyond. But I'm going to, you know, leave myself somewhere to go so I can come back on the podcast in 10 years' time. That's if we're not all killed off by viruses, taken over by clones, burnt alive by dragons, or just humping peanut butter sandwiches and so haven't got time to do podcasts. You know, the the Drake equation, which is supposed to be the equation for likelihood of intelligent life in our solar system based on all those kind of different things that make up planet Earth and make it habitable and all the the, the coincidences that had to happen for that to occur and that sort of thing. Have you come to think that there is a chance that there is intelligent life based on other things other than UFOs? Do you think it's likely or have you come down on either side? Yes, I have. Um, Uh I am certain that there is life out there. Right. I'm... uh, not least because of the Drake equation, and yeah. I was fortunate enough to actually meet Frank Drake a number oh, wow. of years ago at a conference and had a number of discussions with him. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, absolutely, I'm convinced there's life out there because mm. to me it seems that in our infinite universe, with the laws of physics and chemistry mm. seeming to be constant, you would expect that the factors that gave rise to life here would replicate mm. given the staggering number of, of places and opportunities Mm. for them to replicate. Now, of course, there's a huge difference, as scientists will point out, between life out there and us being visited. Mm. And there are many, many people in science who agree that there must be life out there, and perhaps intelligent life as well, because Mm. in terms of survival strategies, um, you know, you can get strong, you can get fast, you can get smart, and that's a pretty good survival strategy Mm. uh, for a species. So... A lot of scientists are quite comfortable with the idea of life out there, but say UFOs are absolute nonsense because you could never break the speed of light. Mm. Therefore, viable interstellar travel is not possible. Mm. Well, there may be ways around that. We don't know. Mm. Wormholes, concepts that we haven't even thought of yet, warping space-time, not really my field. Mm. But it's interesting that, of course, uh, the Royal Society, I think, are going to have a... Uh, conference, symposium to look at the implications of discovery of extraterrestrial life. Mm. The Vatican have made some extraordinarily positive statements about this in the last year or so, wow. saying um, if extraterrestrial civilizations are detected, mm. this would be in no way incompatible with church doctrine. Wow. So now, some people say, "Well, they must know something." I just think they're being smart and and um, yeah. covering all the bases. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there is a lot of academic and scientific work being done on this. You uh, most usually, of course, with radio astronomy. So one of the big engineering projects currently underway in the whole SETI program is going to be the construction of the world's biggest array of radio telescopes Mm. the square kilometre array Mm. and they haven't even started construction yet but when complete in 2024 I believe Mm. scientists say that if there are intelligent civilizations using radio and television which are fairly logical things to discover, invent, use Mm. um, then if they're within 100 light years of here and there's an awful lot of stars within that radius Mm. They say, we should find them, we should Mm. detect them. And of course, the interesting thing is, this works in reverse. We, through our radio and telescope, (laughs) we, through our radio and television broadcasts, have been a detectable civilization, Mm. obviously, for many decades. Yeah, they say that aliens 
will be watching like our old 1950s sitcoms and things now yes, because that's what they get a- first absolutely <laughs> they'll, they'll, because yeah um, they'll be watching I guess things like I Love Lucy yes exactly in fact I think that is the I think that's a good ambassador though that they, yeah. they give that that will be Long for quite the a long first time, yeah. thing I just hope that they can uh, differentiate fact from fiction and that we don't come across some society yeah. that has no concept of fiction because they'll look at some of the the things like like Terminator 2 and, oh. and Nightmare on Elm Street and I think what a weird planet this is full of of horrors and yeah. things and see Tom and Jerry and that they've got these these weird immortal creatures as well that you get put through mince they can't meat. be harmed you know, they yeah. out doesn't matter where we land we won't hurt yeah, them fine next week it's amazing <laughs> A review of the decade in snacks. The millennium started off, you may recall, with the champagne crunchy. The, the, the idea was people would celebrate that and it would pop open and it would and taste vaguely of champagne. And honey. <laughs> and honeycomb. And then that, 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 was, followed, that was followed in 2000 by, um, by the lemonade and the, the orange tango crunchy. But they are lost. Okay, some, during the course of the decade, some, some of these brands popped up and went... Oh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the success stories for Cadbury, the flake, Mm. And uh, although it got off to a bit of a bad start in uh, in 2000, of course, you probably remember the uh, the Anthea Turner flake, to, uh, yeah, snowflake yes, debacle. Yeah. You remember this <laughs> I, I know of the snowflake, and I remember the, the flake dipped with, with fondness from previous conversations with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Anthea Turner, I think, came up, but I didn't understand it, and I still don't. Third wedding, wasn't it? To Grant Bovey. She sponsored. She basically got sponsored by Flake or something, and uh, yeah, and they were all eating flakes in the wedding photos and stuff. That's dreadful. Yeah. There was one photo, and it was on the front of the magazine. You got you got a free snowflake with it, uh, and everyone. Wow. And is she still married to Grant Bovey? Mm, don't think so. The show is. But anyway, yeah. he's hoping, and um, yeah. So, but then there was a flake dipped in two thousand and three. Flake, flake, flake praline. That's quite hard to say. Mm, that's shot, but nice. I like it. 2004, Flake Moments, and now we have the Flake Dark as well. And then, um, Cadbury's also, they tried doing a cream egg bar, I think originally in 2006. The Twisted. No, well, this was before the Twisted. Oh. It was like, you know the Fry's chocolate cream bar? Yes. It was like that, segmented with cream egg, so it was a kind of segmented one. Oh. And But, you know, that didn't catch up. And then they had to, and, and now I think they've, yeah, they, I now I think they've got it more accurately with, mm. the, with the cream egg Twisted. But, but then again, you know, the thing people will remember Cadbury for, I think, this decade was essentially get rid of. Uh, uh, they got rid of the Whisper in two thousand and three. Yeah. That's my notes here. Pulled it back in two thousand and nine. Two thousand seven. Two thousand seven was it? Yeah. Because Nestle brought back the text, and everyone's going, "Oh, I, mean, I only vaguely remember the, the text," and everyone's going, "Yeah, the Whisper." The, the, yeah, Whisper's only just gone. The Texan. You don't remember the Texan? No. A man. No, a man's got to chew. What a man's got to chew. That's anyway. Cadbury, Cadbury's also brought out a Cad, you remember Cadbury Snaps, which are kind of chocolate Pringles. Yes. Still, still get those, oh, but you know, yeah. you right. can't you can't stack as many of them as you can stack Pringles. <laughs> I, I like to make a little sandwich um, with a Pringle on the outside. Um, yeah, I like, and um, the, the the other the other great Cadbury's innovation is they brought out all those Trident gums. Cadbury did the kind of Trident Splash, and they had 
They have one that oh, was yeah. kind of like the raspberry and raspberry and lime in the middle, but with a liquid centre, mm-hmm. liquid yeah. centre chewing gum. And um, and, and I, I I was a big fan of those, but um, uh, apparently it's led to an overall decline of of the of the gum market because consumers are now completely baffled, <laughs> and, and they go and they go, is this oh, a chewing gum or is this a drink? Have <laughs> <laughs> you got anything? It's, and, and they say uh, like they, they blame over premiumisation, which is a which is apparently a word. Um, and you know traditionally people go into the supermarket, you know, news agent. And, and go. Oh, have you got any? Have you got any juicy fruit? Yeah. <laughs> and now they're being a supplement. Like, um, oh, what? It, Cadbury's, Cadbury tried and had a, had a sweet kick flavour that was chocolate flavoured chewing gum with mint in the middle or something yeah, like yeah. this. <laughs> and it as a chewing gum. It, and it would come in a blister pack, like like, yeah. like it was Nicorettes or something yeah. like that. And you That's go, I don't, it, would, it would cost eighty p for, for for nine of them or whatever it was. And yeah, and apparently apparently people are abandoning gum now because it's become too complicated. I'm a computer. I was wondering about um, whether you worry if we do make contact with another civilization that they would be more likely to be hostile or friendly. Is it is it worth worrying? Do you think, in your professional opinion, should we should we be concerned? I what, don't what know. should we do? <laughs> what should we, what we have in to protect case, ourselves in case of alien invasion? Yeah. Please yeah. call this number. <laughs> I, I think, unlike the sorts of scenarios you see play out in sci-fi movies, where Mm. You, you know, you can defeat an alien invasion by plugging in your laptop um, <laughs> somewhere or the other. Or, or maybe having some water nearby. And some water like, nearby. Like in that film. Um, I, I suspect that any civilization capable of viable interstellar travel and reaching us mm. will be so far beyond us technologically mm. that we won't have much chance yeah. of, of defeating them. So one can only hope that this idea that you hear sometimes uh, that that high technological development at that level mm. would be accompanied by high moral development and mm. things. Well, I'm not sure with our example in mind that having bigger and better toys necessarily makes us better mm. people. Um, and one can look, sad to say, at the history of Earth and say that uh, when a more technologically advanced civilization has encountered a less technologically mm. advanced civilization, the latter invariably do not end up uh, in a very mm. good place. But um, it's it's all guesswork and yeah. assumption, really. Mm. Um, so in case of a real alien invasion, probably not much we can do, so mm. let's hope they're friendly. So when, so when the MOD said, can you study these in case there's any danger, you just sort of went, well, I'll have a look, but <laughs> I don't think we can do much, you know. Let's hope they're not like us. But was, I, I don't know, yeah. I suppose, were there, yeah, were there any kind of nuclear programme type plans to defer alien invasions at any point? Did anyone, was it anyone's job to draw that kind of stuff up? Well, I suppose it was mine, but yeah. I didn't. Um, <laughs> there was no... It's your fault, then. <laughs> we would never have got the authority to have written a contingency plan right. for alien invasion because... It would have been such dynamite. MPs would have probably um, been up in arms saying this is a complete waste of mm. taxpayers' money. Yeah. Everyone's gone mad. Yeah. Even though there is a school of thought that says alien invasion falls into the category of what in government and in risk management um, you would call low probability, high impact. Mm. Um, yeah. It's a bit like, for example, a catastrophic strike 
from an asteroid yeah. or a comet. You could say that the chances are vanishingly small, but if mm. it did happen, the mm. consequences would be immense. So isn't it worth, and I, I believe the answer to this is yes, actually having a contingency plan for something, even if you think chances are vanishingly small, because mm. the chances are not zero. I think in practice what would happen is that you would adapt contingency plans for other scenarios. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so they would be largely about keeping the population as safe as possible and, and nourished rather than about trying to fend off some uh, alien or, attack that presumably we would have very little chance of actually... Or the nuclear defence, like, umbrella things that they... You know, there's all kinds of weird nuclear things, aren't they, that would, like, for the Star Wars programme... Just some nukes at it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> just put, bring out the old Star Wars plans from the, the 80s. And, there, uh, arguably, there are all sorts of offensive capabilities that, that we do have, mm. ranging from missiles and mm. uh, things like that through to nuclear weapons uh, through probably to some cutting edge technology that's not yet publicly declared because I think you can Ooh. safely <laughs> say whenever you look at technology particularly with things that have been weaponized that things are being developed and tested and mm. are indeed operational mm. years before mm. the public get to hear about them. I mean, the classic example, of course, is, is stealth fighters and mm. stealth bombers, mm. which were flying around many, many years mm. before they were publicly declared in, I think, about 1988. So there are probably things in our arsenal that are rather better than, than most people might suppose. Yeah. So, yeah, there would be things that we could do. Obviously, I don't want to sound like some war-mongering yeah. person, what we would obviously be trying to do is reach out with the hand of friendship, yeah. communicate, yeah. and then obviously in terms of government, one of the primary aims, of course, would, would be um, technology transfer. Mm -hmm. in, in other words, we would realise that mm. here was a civilization self-evidently, if they've found us, mm. as opposed to us finding them, with a technology significantly ahead of ours, mm. and we would say, come on then, um, yeah. How do you how do you build these spaceships mm. with propulsion systems that, that presumably, unless they've been travelling for a huge amount of time, are faster than light mm. capable? How do you how do you get around the physics? Mm. Um, but what else can they teach us in, in terms of science, um, mm. you know, engineering, physics, chemistry, medicine, maybe mm. agriculture? Uh, we would be looking, I'm sure, for them to solve the problems of the world, yes. that might not be their agenda, but that's yeah. what we would try to get. In the late 90s, there was low. I just remember there being loads of alien stuff around because people were really scared that it was going to be the end of the world, and that some people were, and the other people sort of caught on to the fever, and then it was all alien films and end of the world stuff, and do you remember this, and you could get balloons with aliens, and uh, everyone had alien, uh, and maybe it's just because we were, we're teenagers coming up to the, the end time, of the millennium as well. Because it was the end of the millennium, yeah. I think the X-Files played a huge yeah. part in, in putting that whole UFO and alien issue right in the... the centre stage in mm. terms of the public and media spotlight. But you're right, I mean, in terms of millennial yeah. fever yeah. and prophecy, of course, Nostradamus predicting yeah. the world would end in 1999, then there was the whole millennium bug, the Y2K bug, yeah, the yeah. idea that that might have a, a part to play. The other thing, of course, that really gave this a push was the, the so-called alien autopsy video. Yeah, which is the Roswell thing. Big thing, yeah. yes, that, that, that film footage yes. um, that came out in I think 1995 but again yeah. all hit all that mm. the X-Files 
some big sci-fi movies, mm. uh, the, the run-up to the millennium, all happened at once. Mm. And so you had all this alien stuff. Then it fell away a bit. Yeah. Arguably, it was replaced by magic and codes. So everything was Harry Potter and yeah. Dan Brown and secret societies and symbols and yeah. things like that. Um, but now I think it's coming back, and it's interesting to see that if you look at big sci-fi movies say in the last year mm. in terms of box office takings mm. sci-fi is right back up there mm. and of course avatar is, is, mm. is you know getting great about a zillion records yeah. what will be interesting as a sort of test over the next year or two with the popularity of avatar yeah. is to see if there is any blue alien reporting yeah, yeah. that kind of starts creeping in because at the moment if you look at the people who say that they encounter extraterrestrials or that they've been abducted Invariably, what they actually report are grey entities. Mm. Um, so it will be, it, it will rather along the lines that because people don't report green aliens, it, if people are not reporting blue aliens, mm. it will, I think, prove that people are not just watching too much sci fi yeah, and then yeah. seeing things and saying, Help, I've been abducted. Mm. Uh, it will suggest that whatever is going on with particularly the alien abduction mm. phenomena, it's rather more complicated because mm. if it was simple, you would think little green men, green aliens, yeah. uh, avatar, blue aliens, mm. but we don't see green, and I don't think we'll see blue, mm. but let's, let's wait and see. Pope, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Yes, thank you. It's been fascinating.